The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Today's Bible reading is on Ephesians chapter 1 and we'll be reading the whole chapter. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of all of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded to, toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he had purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of, of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom he also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Whereof I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us would who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in his word, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is which is body the fullness him <coughs> excuse me, which is his body, the fullness of him that fill it all in all. Let's pray. Loving Father, again we come before you 
And Father, at this hour and this message, I feel very inadequate to bring your word. But Father God, I pray this morning that the power of the Holy Spirit would be in this room, that we would be filled with his spirit, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, open the eyes of our heart, O God, again, that we might see the glories and the beauties and the wonders of the things that you have done. Father, I pray that we would go from this place changed. And I ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, Paul is beginning his letter to the Ephesians, and he begins, as most do, the author to the greetings and so on, with a commendation of grace and peace from God to them. Then he launches into an extended eulogy, a vocal outpouring of praise to God for the spiritual blessings to us. Ephesians 1 through 3 is considered to be some of the richest theology in all of the Bible. That's why we're going so slowly through it, to grasp as much of it as we can. He has praised God for choosing us, for predestining us, for adopting us, for redeeming us, for forgiving us, for making known to us the mystery of His will. He has blessed God for claiming us as His own. The relationship between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the church, the believer, is very much like an Old Testament arranged marriage. The Father has seen the Son's bride from afar. He has claimed her for His Son as a bride. He has sent the Son to pay the bride price for the bride. He has communicated the offer of marriage to that young woman, as it is, as it were. She's heard, and she has believed the promise of marriage, and she has received the Son as her intended promised bridegroom. And the Father has given her a ring, sealing the promise. In some ways, not all, the Old Testament story of Abraham sending the servant to go and find a bride for his son has some, not all, similarities, but there's a good picture there. As part of it, the servant takes out of his uh, camel train and, and donkey train all these gifts, gold and silver and all kinds of things, and he gives them to the woman, to, to uh, Rebecca, I believe it is and to her brother, and so on. Those gifts are like the ring that's given and a promise of marriage. The Father has given her a ring, sealing the promise, guaranteeing a future marriage supper. That relationship is binding and it's lasting. And they leave. How then must she live until the Son comes to claim that bride? What effect does that ring, that seal, have on her life? She is not the same. She's different. The bride price has been paid. She belongs to another. How do we live life as the betrothed bride of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what the Bible describes us as, the bride of Christ. Well, I want you to notice the text, and I want you to notice the logic of it. In verses 13 and 14, we read these words. 
In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. There is a main point there. You were sealed. Having heard, having believed, you were sealed. That's his main idea. And then he kind of unpacks it a little bit. He says, after you believed in Christ, that's when. It's, it's the gospel message that we heard. After we heard that message, what were we sealed with? We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is he? He is the deposit towards the inheritance that is yet to come. And we know from last week and looking at what the inheritance is, that the inheritance for us is the Lord Jesus Christ, is God himself. Just as much as he has claimed us for his possession, so we also have him as our inheritance. How long is this pledge, this seal for The Bible says there, it is until or with a view or until the redemption of God's own possession, until Christ comes again to claim his church. Just like in the Old Testament when the groom would come through the streets of the city and he would come with rejoicing and singing and they would send forerunners ahead to tell them that the groom was coming and the bride was to make herself ready and she would adorn herself in all the beautiful raiment and, and robes and what they would do is hang pieces of jewelry all over and money all over her clothing. And she was a beautiful picture, all prepared and ready for the groom as he came to collect his bride. That's how long for. I want to set before you, if you have your, in the uh, bulletin there, in the inside panel, there is the, the sermon notes. I've given you a fairly extended outline there. There's a lot of things I want to go through this morning. Some of them we will not cover very deeply and quite quickly. The reason why I've given you so much is to encourage you to go home, get your Bible out, go through those notes, go through the verses that are and check out and fill in the details. I'll give you much, but I want to aim towards the end of the message where there is an application for all of us. So at times that we may be just moving pretty quickly so you can use this to keep place with where we're at and so on. I want to set before you three things this morning. Number one, God sealed us as we believed the gospel. Number two, God sealed us as his possession. And number three, God sealed us with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And you can see how those main points are unpacked a little bit below that. Well, first of all, God sealed us as we believed the gospel. Notice, first of all, that this sealing is with the promised Holy Spirit. The promise of God to Israel in the Old Testament was that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. The Bible says in Isaiah 44, verses 3 through 5, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, and they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord's, and that one will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord. In the Old Testament, God promised his people in a day to come, he would pour out his spirit en masse to the people of God, and they would know that they belong to the Lord. 
That promise was kept initially at Pentecost and then it carried forward throughout history. Since then, as each believer came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, they were immersed in the Spirit of God and they were filled with that Spirit, marking them and sealing them just like a wedding ring or an engagement ring seals a betrothed to her, her beloved. He also promised in Joel 2:28 and 29, I will it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. It was a promise of God, not just for the people of Israel, but for all mankind, all the nations of the earth. That was promised way back in the Old Testament. It would not just be Old Testament Israel that would have the spirit of God. All the nations of the earth, including all of us, would receive that great gift of God. Remember the story of the Jews in the book of Acts? Peter's gone to the Roman centurion. He's come back to Jerusalem to give a report. And they're all amazed. In fact, they're a little bit concerned that Peter has gone to the Gentiles with this message. And he tells them about how the Spirit of God was poured out on them in that place. And the gospel, the good news of God, has gone beyond the borders of Jerusalem and Judea. It's gone beyond Samaria. And now it's reaching out into the outer parts of the world. And we know now that the gospel is going forward all over this world. Yes, there are many nations still to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why missionaries are so important. We should be sending them out. And supporting them that they might go to the far corners of the world and preach the gospel that the nations might know the message of Jesus Christ. It was also the promise of John the Baptist about the coming Christ as he stood there baptizing and saying he was baptizing them. He was immersing them in the water, but there was one coming who would immerse them in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Who's he speaking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus came and he promised his disciples in Luke 24 and a host of other places. He said, behold, I am sending forth the promise of my father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. As Gentiles receiving the promise of the poured out Holy Spirit, it reinforces the fact that we are included in that one new body, one new building, one new man that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. We're included in the people of God. The very fact that we have the Spirit of God resting on us, dwelling in us, filling us, as the early Jewish believers did, it proves its evidence to them and to us that we're included in the one new body, the one new man. Having believed, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, just as the Jews who believed in Christ were sealed with him. Now notice the text, verse 13 says, After listening and having also believed, God calls us to hear, to listen to the gospel. We went through this last week. I won't repeat it all of it, but we hear the facts. We hear the evidence of the gospel. We agree with God that they are true. We agree with God about ourselves and our relationship to Him as sinners before a righteous and a holy God. And we cast ourselves completely on Christ. We throw ourselves on Him and we cling to Him and Him alone for salvation. It is not, like I said last week, I'll keep saying it, it is not belief in a set of facts. It is belief in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's belief in God. Notice all through that passage, 
How many times he says, in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ, in whom, in the beloved. They're all speaking about the fact that our faith is in God. He calls us to believe. Now, my Bible has the term there in verse number 13. After listening, having also believed. Now, there is a sense in which those words are difficult to get the idea of the timing exactly right. The idea there is not so much you believe, sorry, you hear, you believe, then you're sealed. It's more like you hear, and as you're believing, you are sealed. It's like faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. So believing and being sealed are two sides of the same coin. It's a participle. It indicates uh, simultaneous action. While sitting down, she took notes. Which came first? Well, neither really. She was sitting down and she was taking notes at the same time. So the idea presented here is this. As we heard, as we believed, we were sealed. So how does that all unpack? What does it all mean? In order to understand that, in order to understand what being sealed in him means, we have to ask a bigger or a larger question. How does the Spirit of God work in our conversion? I'm going to give you an outline. We'll go through it reasonably quickly. The Spirit of God sovereignly enters the heart of a sinner. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 that God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit enters the heart and the mind of a believer, of a person, I should say. Secondly, the Spirit of God causes the person to be born again. The Bible says in John 3, 5, and 6, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. If you were reading those little articles I've been putting in the bulletin for the last couple of weeks, we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit and the relationship between the Spirit and believing. If you go to the book of 1 John, take your Bibles quickly. We'll rip over there to 1 John chapter 5. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of God. In that, it's a different translation. I think it's the King James, or not King James, the New King James has the idea of has been born. So whoever believes has been born. It requires the Spirit of God to make us alive. We were looking in 1 Peter chapter 1 on Wednesday nights about this whole idea of being caused to be born again. Uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. We know the Spirit of God enters a man. He causes him to be born again. Thirdly, he convinces and convicts them of the truth of the gospel. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. 
It's the work of the Spirit of God. As you're reading the Gospels, as you're listening to the message preached, as you're listening to your friend unfold and explain the Gospel to you, it is the work of the Spirit of God that convicts you and convinces you in your heart and your mind that the Word of God is true, that the Gospel is true, that you are a sinner, that God is holy, that you need to be saved. It's His work in your heart. The Bible says in John 16, verse 8, And he, that's the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God also awakens their spiritual sight. We worry about sharing the gospel in too confronting of a manner. Forget it. Don't worry about that. Share the gospel in its full. Give them the all the best parts and all the ugly parts and all the dark parts and all the glorious good parts. Why do we give it to them all? We give them all of it simply because until the Spirit of God convinces them and convicts them and opens their hearts and their minds to believe, they won't believe it anyway. So give them all that you can that the Spirit of God might have tools to work with to open their eyes. The Holy Spirit awakens their spiritual sight to see the beauty of Christ, to see the love of God, to see the utter vileness and ugliness of sin, to see the approaching horror of God's righteous wrath, to see the love, the grace, the justice, the holiness of God displayed in the life and death of Christ. The Holy Spirit finally imparts the faith to believe. The Bible says that salvation is by the grace of God Sorry, by the grace of God, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The Spirit of God gives us, imparts to us the faith to believe, having convinced us of the truth of the gospel. The Holy Spirit then begins His work to knit us together with the Father and the Son, to bring us together, to make us and conform us more into the image of Christ. And that's the bulk of what we're talking about The Spirit of God sealing us until the day of redemption. So we've heard the message. We've heard the offer of marriage, if you like that analogy. We have received Christ as our bridegroom-to-be. We have accepted, if you like, the ring. We've received the Holy Spirit that marks us and seals us as belonging to Him. Now, how is it that we live that life from that point until he comes again to claim his own. What is it about the sealing of the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference in the world? Why is it that we see so many Christians, why is it that we ourselves often struggle wondering why don't we see the power of the Spirit of God at work in our lives? Why aren't we like those Old Old Testament, old times Early church men and women who happily endured torture and watched their kids tortured for the sake of Christ and were able to do it without wavering. Why do we seem to struggle so much to live this Christian life? And I would suggest two things. Number one, we do not preach the biblical gospel anymore. And so what we are convincing people is that they are saved when they're really not And having not truly believed, they are not filled with a seal, with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, they don't have the power to live that life. 
So our first call, our first stop in understanding all this is to preach a biblical gospel, to make sure we include all the message of God about the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the sin of man, the blood of Christ that was spread, shed for us. And we don't let go. We don't back off. Because if we do not present a biblical gospel, we can deceive people into thinking that they are saved when they're truly not. And the second reason I believe with all my heart why we don't see Christian lives lived the way they should be, the way they're described in the Bible, is we simply don't understand the work and the ministry and the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I want to go now and try to unpack that for you. Notice, secondly, God sealed us as his possession. The seal of the Holy Spirit, like I said before, is like an engagement or a wedding ring. It is both an external message and an internal message. My wedding ring declares to everybody that I meet, everybody who sees me, I belong to Heather. I belong to her. I'm no longer open to romantic involvement with anyone. But my wedding ring also reminds me and declares to me, I belong to her. I am not free to wander. I'm not free to go shopping. I'm not free, as they say, to review the menu. I belong to somebody else. That's where my allegiance is. I pledge to her my troth. That's the old language for getting married. Meaning what? Meaning I pledge myself to her and to her alone, forsaking all others. That ring reminds me. What was the old cliche story? The guy goes to the bar and he, before he walks, he quickly slips his ring off and puts his ring into his, in his pocket so he can go into the bar and meet some woman. Why? Because that ring would tell everybody in the bar, he's married. He belongs to somebody. He also slips it off, I think, because he wants to forget himself that he has a responsibility. He belongs to somebody. He is not free to live any way he chooses anymore. Now, in the first century, a seal, the idea of a seal, which you're talking about here, was like melted wax into which a signet was pushed. And that signet pushed into the melted wax impressed on that wax an image, a design, a a logo, if you like. The people would see that image and recognize who it is that the image speaks of. And speaking of our sealing, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is both the sealer and He is the seal. They're the same. So the Spirit of God impresses upon us the image of Christ. He is working to mold us and shape us, transform us from the inside out into the image of Christ. And He is also the seal itself that imparts all kinds of spiritual qualities to us. And we'll look at those secondly. But first of all, I want you to notice what is about the possession. We are sealed as belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are three things there that I want to pick up on. There's actually more, but we won't for time's sake. We are sealed under God's ownership. Secondly, we are sealed under God's authority. And thirdly, we are sealed under God's protection. So notice, first of all, we're sealed with the Spirit. That sealing action marks us to everybody else and to ourselves that we belong to God. We're under His ownership. He owns us. The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 9, However, 
You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Meaning what? Meaning having the Spirit of God, having believed, having received Christ as our Savior, we are filled and sealed with the Spirit of God that marks us as belonging to Him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. We, having believed, are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and He dwells in us. We belong to God. We are not our own. We are His possessions. Brothers and sisters, young people, listen. Our mind belongs to God. We are not free to think according to the old sinful nature and sinful habits. Our bodies belong to God. We are not free to use them for sinful habits and purposes. You read the book of Romans in chapter 6, and what's he talk about? Putting off the old man, no longer giving the members of our body as instruments, as tools to be used for sinful purposes. We belong to God. Our bodies belong to God. Our mouths belong to God. We're not free to speak in the old, sinful, gossiping, slandering, profane, and ungodly manner. Our mouths are to be used to glorify and honor God where they used to be used to slander and gossip and hurt others. Belonging to God, we are slaves to His righteousness. We're to present our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice. We bring ourselves before God and we offer ourselves to Him that He might use us for His glory because He owns us. We belong to Him. We're presenting our bodies as living sacrifice. Our response to the sealing of the Holy Spirit is to surrender our desires and our delights, all of those, to Christ. Why do we struggle in this life so much? The testimony, the inner pulling, the inner drawing of the Holy Spirit draws us to stop using our mouths for sinful purposes, to stop using our hands and feet for sinful purposes, but to present our entire bodies as owned and belonged to God to be used for His glory and His purposes. The seal of the Holy Spirit, the sealing of the Spirit of God marks us as belonging to him. It's also got an interesting side thing. It's really cool. A seal often marks the authenticity of something. Uh, I watch this show on TV once in a while. It comes up. It's, uh, it sounds terrible, but don't, don't freak out. I think it's called Pawn Stars, but it's not P-O-R. It's P-A-W-N. And it's these guys in, the, in I think it's Las Vegas, and they, they have this like pawn shop. And the guys will bring in all kinds of really interesting items and they'll try and sell them and get money for them and so on. And every once in a while, God will bring in, oh, here I have this here. It's a, it's an official document. Oh, what is it? Well, it's, it's actually, uh, the, the surrender of General, uh, Lee at the end of the Civil War. And it's his signature on the bottom here. And they, they hand it over. I'm making it up. And they hand it over. And the guy looks at it with a little bit of like, yeah, I don't think that's the one. No, 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 really, my grandpappy, he was in the army, and his grandpappy was in, and they, they passed it all down, and, and really, it's the one. 
And they do some authenticating and, and they find out whether it's really a real document or not. And like nine times out of ten, uh, sorry man, it's worth about $1.99 because what it costs to photocopy it and it's not real, it's, it's a fake, it's, we can prove it by all kinds of means. But every once in a while they'll bring something in and you'll see the eyes of the guy behind the counter light up because he'll realize, you know what, I got a friend who specializes in documents and that is the real thing. The paper's old, the ink is an old recipe, you know. And every once in a while they'll have something on the corner, a big chunk of red blobby wax, and there'll be a seal impressed in that wax. And what they would do is, if they were signing a very important document, I think you find like Constitution and other things like that, great historical documents, they'll have seals all down the side of those documents as the signers not only signed their name, they also took their family seal and a bit of wax and put it on there and they impressed it on there and everybody could see that that document was an authentic document. It was real. It had all the weight of a legal document behind it. It wasn't a cheap copy. What's the point? Our adoption into the family of God is authentic and real and genuine. How do we know? Because we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We cannot lose our salvation. We belong to Him. It's an absolute genuine thing. So when he says, you know what, little children, my sons, my daughters, he refers to us in that turn in 1 John, he's speaking to us as those who have been adopted absolutely into his family. The fact that we have the Spirit of God living in us is absolutely foolproof proof, guarantee that we belong to the Father. Our adoption is genuine. Sometimes you wonder in your Christian life as you're going along and you struggle with one sin or, or a few sins and you just never seem to get victory over them and you start to wonder, you know, how do I, can I really be sure if I'm even saved if I keep falling into the same sin, I keep struggling with these same things and I keep going to God for help, but how do I really know the very fact that the Spirit of God in you keeps testifying to you that is sin, stop doing it. That is sin. Don't do that. Stop it. And he troubles you and turmoils your heart and you wrestle with that situation. It's the one who carries on for years in ongoing sin without the slightest implication, slightest hint that he's doing the wrong thing. That's the one who has to have serious worry because the only way he carries on unhindered in sin is if he does not belong to God. He will str- we'll all struggle with sin. But the Spirit of God works on our conscience and works in our heart to say, what you're doing is wrong. And that Spirit of God doing that is authenticating to us that you belong to your Father. You are an authentic child of the living God. What a great God we have. An amazing God who sealed us with his Holy Spirit. It also means that we're sealed under God's authority. In Roman times, the seal of the governor declared that the person, the property, was under the authority of that seal. You remember the scene when outside in the garden tomb. 
And the soldiers came and they rolled the stone over against Jesus' tomb. And they come and they put probably put a big band of rope or something across the whole thing. And they took a big blob of wax and put it on there, heated up. And then they pressed the governor's seal into that wax and they sealed the tomb. Meaning anything inside that tomb was under the authority of the governor. The guards outside guard it. We'll look at that in a second. But it was under the authority of the governor. When the Roman soldiers marched into battle, this one guy was picked and he wasn't given any weapons. He was given a great long uh, shaft thing with these big heavy bronze plates impressed with the legion number, maybe a big eagle on top, or they had all kinds of ornate things. And that was the standard of the legion. It had the seal of the governor or the general who was leading that group. And as they marched into battle, they marched into battle under the authority of that standard that represented the general and then represented Rome back in Rome. They were under that authority. You and I are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are under the authority of the living God throughout this life. One of the things that marks a believer in Jesus Christ is a dedicated commitment to the obedience to the word of God and the spirit of God and the will of God. Romans 1 through 1 verse 7 says this, Through the Spirit, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. 1 Peter 1 verse 2 says this, We were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. The purpose of our salvation, one of them, was we were to live in obedience. You wrestle, you struggle with that. We all do because we've got that nature that wants to fight against it. The old man fights against the new man and the new man wants to live in obedience to God and we wrestle and fight against that. But the life of a Christian is characterized and marked, if you like, is sealed by a life of obedience. It's like I said before, it's like the Christian who claims to be a Christian and carries on for years in open disobedience to God that has to wonder. We would have cause to wonder about the genuineness of their salvation. Are they living, striving to be obedient to God in everything they know that God has given them to do? Yes, we all grow. Yes, we all learn about the things God has called us to do. And as we grow and as we learn, as we understand more about what God's calling us to do, we keep bringing more and more of our lives under his submission. Yes, we agree he's Lord. But in some cases, we just don't know. And the Spirit of God is also teaching us. Why? That we might be increasingly under his authority and living in obedience. Moving on, he says, or it says, being sealed with the Spirit, we're under God's protection. In those times, a seal also guaranteed protection of whatever was sealed. The picture form again, the tomb of Jesus was sealed with Pilate's seal. It had the protection of soldiers set to guard it. We, having believed and being sealed with the Holy Spirit, we are under the protection of God. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 3, it says this, 
Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. He protects us. That seal of the Holy Spirit on our lives is protecting us. Second Peter 1 verse 5, We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Listen. No matter what they do to our bodies, we will live for eternity. No enemy can destroy us with torture, suffering, and death. Jesus said, Don't fear him who can destroy the body but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Meaning what? Meaning nothing can take your salvation from you. That salvation is protected by the fact that we have the Spirit of God in us. He keeps it for us. It's like I'm saved and I commit my salvation to God and he will keep that for me. And the last day when the Christ will come and he will gather all the nations of the world together and he will walk through and he will take us as his own and gather us to one side, to the right side and say, these belong to me and those I do not know. We are protected. Listen. The whole idea that we can lose our salvation is so ridiculous. I'm sorry, I don't mean to belittle people who struggle with that. What I mean to say is, when you stop and think about what God has done to save us, in order for us to lose our salvation, He has to spiritually kill us, make that which is now alive dead again. He has to take His Holy Spirit from us. Can't do that. We're sealed with it. He has to take us and, and set us free and release us and cause that which is dead with alive to be dead again. It doesn't make sense. The very fact that we're filled with the Spirit of God means that we are protected. Our salvation is absolutely secure. Listen to what Isaiah says. I found this yesterday. It's a beautiful verse. Isaiah 43, verses 11 to 13. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity I am He, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Meaning what? He's got you in his hand. He cannot, he will not let you go on the very fact that he has made a covenant through Christ's blood with us to save us means he cannot let us go. We're protected. The fact that the Spirit of God is in you is great comfort knowing whatever you face in this world, you cannot lose your salvation. It's absolutely yours. You say, well, why do people seem to wander away? Why is it some people seem to start and they go so long in the journey and they disappear and they never come back? My argument would be, it's not that they lost their salvation, it was that they were never saved to start with. 
And the tragedy is, because we have put aside a biblical preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are seeing people come into a church, make some kind of a confession of faith, not based on what the Bible says. We don't see the fruit in their lives. We don't see the evidence of the Spirit of God working in their lives. They walk with God, so-called, for a while, and then they turn away, never to return. The reality is, like, I think it's John who says it, they went out from us because they were not one of us. They were not truly saved to start with. Which puts back again the impetus, the requirement, the mandate for us to preach the gospel that people might truly come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and truly be saved. And being and believing, as they're believing, they're sealed with the Holy Spirit that gives them the power to live this life and carry it through all the way to the end. Brothers and sisters in Christ, never mind my notes for a minute. I've got to ask again, Do you know what it is to be truly saved? Do you know what it is to truly believe, to throw yourself completely upon God for salvation, to trust in Him and Him alone? Do you know what it is to be filled, to be sealed with the Holy Spirit that gives you that inside testimony? We'll talk about that in a second. The inner testimony that says you belong to God. You are His. You say you're causing people to question their faith. Yes, I will. I'll provoke you to question your faith. You say, don't, don't you worry about stumbling somebody? No. I'm far more worried about soothing you and coaxing you all the way to hell than making you stop and think to examine your lives to be absolutely sure that you know God to be absolutely sure that you have believed, that you have thrown yourself completely upon Christ for salvation. There is a large third point there. Our time is flying away. I think the clocks in in the building are about half an hour fast. Just a thought. You know what? We'll keep going. God seals us with the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God does the sealing. He is also the seal. It's a seal of the Holy Spirit empowering the Christian life. Paul launches out of his his praise of God in verse 15, and he begins to pray for them. And as he builds up in his prayer, he hits this point where he's praying that they might know the power of God. What kind of power is that? The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. The same power that took dead sinners and made them alive. He says, I pray that you would know that power. And that power is the Spirit of God's work in us. His seal empowers us to live this life. The power to put off sin. You can struggle all your life as an unbeliever to put off sin, but you won't do it. Why? Because you're chained to it. You're slave to it. But having been set free by Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can then put off that sin. We can know victory over sin. No, we will never be perfect in this life. Don't misunderstand me to mean that. It does mean the power of the Spirit of God. We can put off the sin that ensnares and stumbles and restricts us. We have the power to put on Christ. What does that mean? To put on what... 
to act the way Christ acted, to speak the way Christ spoke, to live out the image of Christ as being impressed upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That power from God is the Spirit of God working in us to live this life. It's the power to endure suffering. It's the power to preach the gospel. The Spirit of God is that power of God. Don't misunderstand. I think the Spirit of God is not a person. He is a person. Some ideas, some cults have the idea that the Spirit of God is an impersonal power. I heard people even equate uh, Star Wars and the Force. Oh, that's talking about the Spirit of God. No, it is not. The Spirit of God is a person, and He empowers us to live this Christian life. It's also the seal of the Spirit of God that imparts hope and assurance. You know one of the greatest little verses in the Bible? I have favorite verses all over the Bible, in case you hadn't figured it out by now. But this one here, Romans 8, 15 and 17, listen to this. The Bible says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leaving to fear again, But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. What's he saying? The Spirit of God's that little small voice in the back of your heart that just whispers, You belong to Christ. How do you know you're saved? Well, you know, I signed a card. I was at a meeting and I I raised my hand. Well, you know, I was at a meeting once. I went down the front and I knelt at the altar and I, I, I repeated a prayer. That's how I know I'm saved. Listen, there is something infinitely better than that. It's infinitely better even than me remembering sitting on a bed at a camp bunk and, and praying. It's the still, small voice of God that testifies in my heart, you belong to God. That's the Spirit of God working in us that testifies to us that we are children of the living God. It's also the Spirit of God, the seal of the Holy Spirit, producing His spiritual work and fruit in us. What did Jesus say? Every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Listen. Filled with the Spirit of God, you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? You say, well, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. You rattle them all off. They are the fruit of the Spirit. Don't get me wrong. That's what the Bible says in Galatians 5. But here's what you have to understand. I love my wife. It's not hard to love my wife. In fact, it's very easy to love my wife. Those of you who are married know that's true. But it's the guy that kicks me in the shins as he walks by. It's the guy that throws verbal mud at me because of what I've said or done. It's the guy that wants to punch my lights out because I'm a Christian. Do you love him? You see, loving Heather is a natural response. Even if either one of us were believers, it would not be hard for me to love her because she's my wife. But loving where love is not a natural response, that is what the Spirit of God is producing fruit in us. When joy is not a natural response, and it comes out anyway in those moments when you feel the depths of sorrow, that's the fruit of the Spirit. 
when we have hope, when hope just seems absolutely lost. Look at Abraham, right? He's 99 years of age. Sarah is, what, 80-something, 85, let's say 80. And they're trying to have a kid. And he looks at the deadness of her womb. He looks at the deadness of his own body. And the Bible says he did not lose hope. In hope against hope is what it says. It means that his hope was not in what he could see. In the natural reaction to that situation, his natural inclination would be to give up hope. You're 99. She's 80. You're not going to have a kid. Just stop buying baby furniture. It's not going to happen. And yet he did not give up hope. And the fruit of the Spirit in his life was he kept on hoping. And that hope was realized. It's when peace is not the natural reaction that we have peace. It's evidence of the fruit of the Spirit of God working. It's when patience. I am not known. I'm known for a lot of things. Not patience. Hardly ever. My prayer is, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. Because I need it right now. And the Lord says, just a minute. And it's patience, right? And we don't, we're not patient people. But when we respond in patience, when the natural reaction is to be absolutely impatient, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Don't go around trying to be more loving. That's not the point. Go around trying to be more obedient to what God has called you to do. Go around submitting yourself more and more and more to the work of God in your life. Go around striving to learn more and respond in obedience to the Word of God and the Spirit of God that's working in your life. And when you do that, the natural evidence that will be produced is the fruit of the Spirit of God. There's so much more I want to say. It's a seal of the Spirit of God imparting the ability to worship. We'll, we'll just skip over these. It's a seal, fourthly, of the until our final redemption. I made mention of that before, so I'll leave that. My question is, I want to finish on this. Is your life characterized by mind and a body and a mouth and attitudes that display to everybody that you belong to Jesus Christ? Is your life characterized by obedience to God's word and God's will? When the Spirit of God impresses upon your heart that what you are doing, that habit that you have engaged in, is wrong. When God confronts you with your sin, what is your reaction? I'm talking to believers. How do we respond to that? You belong to God. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are under the authority of the living God. Your, your salvation is protected. And the way we live shows and displays the power of the Spirit of God. Well, maybe you're listening to all of this and wondering, why don't I see more of that influence, that power of the Holy Spirit in my life? Why is it that, that, that 12 disciples... Peter, right? Jesus is being questioned in the court, being beaten up by the guards. A little servant girl walks out and says, Oh, I think you were one of him too. You, you were with him. And he goes, Oh, no, 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 no. Not me. He comes out again. I, you're the one. You're with him. You've got a Galilean accent. Oh, no, not me. No, no. No, no, no. You're the one. And he begins to call down oaths and curses from God. May Literally, may God strike me dead if I know that man. That's what he said. Absolutely terrified of a little servant girl. 
He's a big, burly fish. I always picture Peter as big and, and kind of big. And it, I'm like Peter. I can relate to him. This little girl walks out and she accuses him. What happens 45, 50 days later? He walks out into the streets of Jerusalem and with a loud voice, he proclaims publicly the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ raised from the dead. He preaches the gospel. He preaches the first Pentecost sermon and all the people of Jerusalem are listening to him. He gets hauled in front of the chief priests and, and all those other high, high and mighty people. They accuse him. And what's he do? We must obey God, not you. All of a sudden, Peter has a power to stand up and confidently speak for God. What made the difference? Jesus said in Luke 24, 49, But wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. What was he talking about? He's talking about the filling, the sealing of the Holy Spirit that came on Pentecost morning. Now, I know our time's going. Please just bear with me. This is important. We are commanded by Scripture, sorry, back up. We are sealed or baptized into the Holy Spirit once. There is not multiple baptism. You don't get baptized now and baptize again. There isn't this thing where you get baptized now when you believe and then when all of a sudden you start speaking in tongues, you're baptized again, all that. It's not biblical. Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14 make it absolutely clear. You are sealed, you are baptized, you are immersed in the Spirit of God when the moment you believe. Literally, as you believe, you are sealed. But the Bible also tells us to be filled. That's a different thing. Take your Bibles, flip over to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Actually, we're going to read verses 15 to 18. The Bible says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's read a bit further. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, either and even the Father. What is he talking about? There is one main idea in that verse, those verses. Be filled with the Spirit. That's his main command. It's a passive command. It's like me saying to Con, Con, go out and get punched. Con has to go out and wait for somebody to punch him. Because it's a, he can't do it himself. It's be punched or be filled. But notice around that, these, all these other commands. Be careful how you walk. Make the most of your time. Don't be foolish. Don't get drunk with wine. And then he says, be filled. So what's the point of all this? The point of all this is this. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit the moment we believe. As we believe, we are sealed. But we are commanded to be filled. Now, that filling does not mean like filling up a cup with water. What it means is, it's something more like this. You go out in the backyard, Aussies love fires, right? I noticed that around here. You like to have fires in the backyard and cook things over them, the barbie. And you go out and you get the fire going. And the fire produces so much light and so much heat. The fire is all there. It's, it's lit, it's burning, it's going. 
and someone comes along and leans down on their hands and knees like me and goes, and all of a sudden the fire burns hot and bright. And the heat that comes off that fire is so much greater than it was a few minutes before. And I go, I do it again. And for a few moments, maybe a little period of time, that fire burns extra hot. It's the same fire. It was lit initially at the beginning point. It's just all of a sudden the influence of that heat and light is so much bigger for a little while. That's what he's talking about. So if it's be filled, it's a command. It's an imperative verb, but it's an imperative Passive, meaning I command con to go and be filled or go and be punched. How do we, how do we keep the command? That's something we are told to do. How? Well, there's only one way that I know that con can go out and get punched. He has to go out and ask somebody. So the, the point of the verses and the reason why I wanted to get to this is this. How is it that we as Christians living in this life, sealed with the Spirit of God, live in the power of the Holy Spirit, not the charismatic craziness. Pardon me for saying that. I don't mean that. I mean biblically the way the Spirit of God is to be understood from Scripture. We plead with God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to anoint us for the moment as we preach, as we work, as we talk, as we witness. We ask for it. We also live our lives in such a way that we are making room for, and it's a bad way to say it, but that's the best way I know how. We are putting off the old man and we're pleading with God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. We're putting off sin. We're putting to death those habits and problems that we, that keep dragging us down. We are striving to know scripture. We're striving to know God to the best of our ability. And at the same time, we're praying, Father, fill me with your spirit according to Ephesians 5.18. Do you get a sudden second blessing? No. What you get all of a sudden and a guy named uh, Graham, Glenn Graham, who wrote a book called Exegetical Summary of Ephesians, said it's like a dramatic increase in the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Notice what flows out of it. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why didn't he say speaking in tongues to one another? That would have satisfied the charismatic idea completely. But that's not what he says. He says, the outflow of being filled with the Spirit is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart. It's an overflowing of joy in your heart as the influence of the Holy Spirit is increased in your life. It's a logical, rational thing. It's not a chaotic thing. Here's my my problem. One of them. Uh, We have misunderstood the work, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The charismatics, God bless them, they have gone one way and said it's all this kind of craziness, barking in the Spirit and all this heretical stuff. And we as conservative evangelicals, God bless us too, we've looked over them and said, ooh, I don't want anything to do with that, and we've stepped the other way. And really the truth is not over there. Listen. Don't let somebody else's misunderstanding of Scripture rob us of what is ours by God's design. 
He gave us the Spirit of God. He gave us that Spirit that we might speak and minister and love and work into the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. How will we know victory in our lives over sin? The power of the Holy Spirit. So we cry out to God in, if you don't like the word fill, it's equally accurate to say, increase the influence of the Spirit of God in my life. Help me to put off sin that the Spirit of God might have greater freedom in my life. It's not an exact balance idea, but that's kind of the thought there. It's what he's saying. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Listen, the gospel is such an incredible story. He has claimed us as his own. He has given us the Holy Spirit to seal us and mark us as belonging to Him. He has given us every single thing we need to live this life from now until the day He comes to get us. He's given us everything to live even if we go right through the doors of persecution and tribulation and torture and horrific death. Why would those men and women in the Middle East, suffering for their faith, able to endure it with barely a sound, I'm absolutely convinced it was the Spirit of God in him enabling him to get through it and move beyond it. If we can let go of the idea of trying to live this world, everything for ourselves and everything to try and make us as comfortable as possible in this world and fasten our eyes on what Christ has done and what Christ is coming back to gather us, it would be so much different, wouldn't it? If we were striving to live our lives understanding what the Spirit of God has done when He sealed us. We belong. We're under His authority. We're under His protection. We cannot lose this salvation. We have the Spirit of God in us, in a, a powering us to live this life for God. But it seems like we just want to pull back and go, well, I'm sort of happy with this mediocre walk a little bit and kind of keep one foot in the world and one foot in Christ and somehow try and model my way through and, and keep all the goodies of the world in one arm and, and keep my hand firmly on, on Christ in the other and somehow make it there. It's like a betrothed bride that goes past her old boyfriend's house every single day. She's trying to just sort of keep options open. It does not work that way. Is what I'm saying... All over the map. I know I'm, there's so many things in my head. I cut a whole part of the sermon out. Does it make sense? All right. Let's, let's pray. And then I think what we'll do, Myers, we'll just do the benediction. We're running out of time. Would you stand with me? And we'll pray together and then we'll sing together. Thanks. Father in heaven, this morning we give you thanks again. Father, worthy are you to be praised, for you have done incredible things, amazing things. Father, you who saw us from afar before the beginnings of time and set your love on us, Father, you who chose us before the foundation of the world, you who predestined us 
to be adopted as sons and daughters. Father, you who predestined us to be holy and blameless before him in love. Father, you who have redeemed us, who have set us free from your wrath and forgiven us of sin. Father, none of this much so far do we deserve. We deserve nothing but your wrath and your anger. But Father, we praise God, we praise you this morning that even beyond that, Father, you've called us to hear a message. You've given us the faith to believe. And Father, as we believed, you sealed us. You stamped us with the impression of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we rejoice that that Spirit of God testifies to us that we belong to you, that Spirit of God that reminds us that we are under your authority, that reminds us that we are being protected for a salvation yet to be revealed. Father, we thank you for the Spirit of God that empowers us to live this life. Father in heaven, I plead with you that you would bring us more and more into the Word of God, that we might see the things that you call us to do. Father, we might put off sin, put off the old habits, anger and malice and wrath and so on. And we might put on Christ all the while, O oh God, crying out to you for the filling of the Holy Spirit, the dramatic increase of the influence of the Spirit of God in our lives. Father, thank you for giving us the Spirit of God that we might live this life in obedience that we might know victory over sin, that we might know the testimony of the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin, convincing us of truth, awakening our eyes evermore, opening that we might see the glories of Christ. Father, we cry out to you again for this church, even as we were singing that song right before we began the message, Father, about revival and renewal. Father, cause us as a church to have that first love once again. Father, cause us as a church to be actively putting off sin and putting on Christ, to be burying ourselves in the Scriptures that we might know you. And Father, beyond all these things, I cry out to you, Lord, if there's one person in this room that does not know you. Father God, I plead with you that the Spirit of God would testify to them of their sin, of the greatness of the Savior, of the love of God so rich, the grace of God that was given to us. They might come to know you and walk with you and be sealed with the Spirit as you have sealed us. Father, we cry out to you for these things and we plead with you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.